Hello folks. This week I'm going to explore one of Heidegger's first major post-Beagle time engagements. I want to look at what he has to say about the nature of art, its significance and what art can tell us about the mystery of being. The first thing we should notice is Heidegger does do something quite radical in his treatment of art. In his essay, The Origin of the Work of Art, Heidegger connects art to truth. Usually, in the history of philosophy, for reasons I will go into, art is deemed to be the poor relation of philosophy, presented as an obfuscation of what is real. Not so for Heidegger, who thinks that art and truth are inseparable. To understand why this is the case will be my task this week. I aim to outline what Heidegger has to say about art in the hours of the work of art, positions himself in relation to some key moments in the history of the philosophy of art, and I want to explain what Heidegger means by the idea that art is a form of truthful unconcealment. Part 1. Between Hegel and Plato. If we want to know what Heidegger means by art, or what he sometimes calls great art, we need to understand Hegel's theory of art. Heidegger's notion of great art is not a value judgment about which piece of art is good or what meets public standards of good taste or meets the demands of refined and elite taste or the pure pressure of an art-consuming public. Rather, by great art, Heidegger means art which connects to all facets of life, art which matters. Here, he agrees with Hegel, although by doing so, he also acknowledges the problem of art as Hegel conceives it. Hegel, in his famous introductory lectures on aesthetics, argues that art has lost its great past, where art was relevant, inseparable from humans' lived experience. In his lectures, Hegel was talking about recent fashions in art appreciation in early 1800s Germany that art had become an item of appreciation was precisely the problem. It means art, in Hegel's view, was becoming a matter of taste about the comparative merits of specific art objects. This means art is in the object in some way, where the value of the art is tied to the proficiency of the artist, the skill demonstrated in performance, rarity or via some exceptional quality which an object exhibits. However, such a view of art implies a fragmentation of art for Hegel, with art diffused into a plethora of consumable objects. The fragmentation of art means it no longer can be considered as a form of life, when entwined with the ethical substance of a culture, as it was, say, for the Homeric oral traditions of ancient Greece or the Judeo-Christian biblical tradition. The point being for Hegel, if art is not entwined with the totality of life, then art no longer can engage in the spiritual reproduction of a society. On the contrary, what Hegel identifies is a propensity with art being equated with appreciation of single artworks. Here, single artworks are valuable solely as items of criticism. Hegel prefigures Heidegger's concern with the question of nihilism and the meaning of art. Basically, is art of value and does art matter or does it not? If we understand that artwork merely is an item of criticism, that is, that the activity of art is synonymous with and only synonymous with the activity of criticising objects, then art for Hegel really 
no longer matters or has become more diffuse because it is not embedded in broader historical, cultural and spiritual processes. Heidegger agrees with the general trust of Hegel's diagnosis of art, but thinks that we can retrieve a, a spiritual understanding of art where spiritual means historical life rather than supernatural entities, say. And we could do that by returning to pre-Socratic philosophers and their unique notion of truth. The philosopher we must face down here is Plato. Plato's Republic famously endorses censorship of the poets. This is because, the story usually goes, Plato is a dualist and that which is real occurs in an ideal and eternal world of forms and that which is temporal and apparent exists in a secondary, derivative and phenomenal world. We engage in poetry then because we are seduced, like the puppet shadows on the cave wall, by luxuriating in the phenomenal realm. There we act as if we were gods, creating, imposing meaning on the objects of the world, shaping and moulding material reality. For Plato, art must be expelled from the Republic because art is a pale imitation of that which is real. That term, imitation, is interesting here. Here Plato gives us the key to how we have come to think about art in the history of philosophy and beyond, even amongst philosophers such as Aristotle, who are more sympathetic to art. And that is art is a form of mimesis. We cannot engage art if we are not copying something or other. Plato just forces that issue and says that what the artist copies is reality itself. The purpose of art is to represent things. Art is a representation of how things are really like. While philosophy is about getting to the things themselves, how they really are, art seems to be about copying things. The history of art, then, is a history of getting better at representing or making ever more nuanced, fine-grained and detailed conceptions of art. One does not need to be magrit to understand that a picture of a pipe is not a pipe. So art, by focusing on the image, the copy is firstly removed from the real, and secondly, art becomes an impediment to uncovering the real or the truth. Thirdly, because art is an impediment, it also becomes a trivial distraction, a soporific sedating us away from questioning things which really matter, such as questions of ethic, truth, justice and education, at least in Plato's eyes. There is, though, a fundamental paradox to art, even one Plato is aware of. Art is trivial and useless, but at the same time dangerous and can even usurp the Republic. All art does is fool people and is thus at one and the same time something both impotent and useless, yet also potent and terribly effective. This contradiction is not something we need to surmount. Rather for Heidegger, when thinking of art, we need to let this contradiction be. Art is that which is both powerful and impotent at once. And that is not necessarily a bad thing. So while Plato is valuable in that he has determined how we talk about art to this day, even its seemingly inherent contradictory nature, we need to, for Heidegger at least, exist alongside the contradictions which Plato have offered us. Now, Plato's reflections makes possible how we can and cannot talk about art. Plato's reflections lead us to explain art within the confines of issues like use, 
verisimilitude, function, meaning, relevance, power and weakness, illumination and obscurantism. This last one especially is everyday to us. How many times have we judged an artwork significant because it illuminates the human condition and deemed it bad, pointless or trivial when it is obscure, self-indulgent and esoteric? Even when we think art as good, we say it is so because it bears a fidelity to reality, to the truth, or how it reveals something powerful about the human condition. A good example here would be when we see an amazing photograph. We admire it because it gets to the essence of the thing. Because words are useless, and we say a picture paints a thousand words. However, the separation of art and reality, or appearance in reality, and what else is an artwork but a type of appearing, is not as clear-cut as Plato might suggest for Heidegger. Indeed, Heidegger will argue that truth and art are profoundly connected and are not at all separable. Part 2. The Tingliness of the Artwork In his essay, The Origin of the Work of Art, Heidegger begins by talking about, well, the term origin. When we think of art in... In everyday sense, the term origin is something we usually apply in the context of art to the uniqueness of the artist. We say it is an original, which is to say the artwork is unrepeatable. This is important that we think of creation in this way as the question of creation is connected to it coming from somewhere. But if we press this a little... We could think of the many artists who say their art is not a subjective or willed object. As in, I think it, therefore I create it, and it exists. In contrast, the artists will say that they are a conduit for reality itself, mere vessels of the inspiration of the muses. We should listen to the artist here. They are talking about the mindlessness of creation. And this is what Heidegger wants us to get to. Art is something created, lived and absorbed in the world. Anyone who plays music will understand the flow states that arise from playing. The first thing we could say then about the artwork, whether muse or otherwise, is it comes from somewhere. Something other than us. It would also be a bit foolish to think of the opposite though. That the artwork exists merely because it is animated by those who receive it and experience it. It's audience, say. This seems unsatisfactory too. We still enjoy debate and consume artworks like the Mona Lisa and Beethoven's Ninth Symphony despite their creators being dead for centuries. So the importance of the artwork does not come wholly from the existence of the artist and the consumer of the art. It must exist independently in some way. The problem is for Heidegger, we have been getting things wrong when we think about art. We have this habit, as Hegel showed, of thinking of the artwork as an object, as a thing created by an artist, or a thing experienced by a spectator, or even a thing executed by a performer, say a dance. Art, thought of in this way, is something to which nothing real any longer corresponds. By this I mean that thinking about the artwork as a thing, an object, even an object present to hand to use the lexicon of being in time is in a sense de-worlded. The artwork does not reveal how things are or how our worlds hold together. This is pressing for Heidegger because art is everywhere. 
it suffuses all aspects of our being. And on this, at least, I think he separates himself from Plato, who, who thought art was a pale copy of reality. For Heidegger, art, on the contrary, mediates reality and is essential to how we mediate reality. Arts are part of the, the fabric of everyday life. Art is everywhere. Images are everywhere. Poetry is everywhere. If we listen for it. Music is everywhere. And even with architecture, all our buildings are artistic in some way, shape or form. They are creative things. But we still seem to treat art as an object, as if it were a thing. Because the activity of the artwork is restricted only to criticism, as Hegel claimed, we have a propensity to put art on display, to arrest it and keep it somewhere. This applies as much to mantelpiece ornaments as it does elite art. With art as merely housed in collections and exhibitions, it is hung on walls or something restricted to performances, say maybe a reading of a dramatic work. By doing this, we get deworlded art. Art without environment, if you like. At least the modern period. And we and we turn art into single objects of consumption. Heidegger is concerned about this treatment of art in the modern world, where art is just the same as things, and even contributes to our habits of needless acquisition. For Heidegger, and I quote him here, the picture hangs on the wall like a rifle or a hat. Or, Heidegger also says, works of art are shipped like coal from the Ruhr and logs from the Black Forest. During the First World War, Holderlin's hymns were packed in the soldiers' knapsack together with cleaning gear. Beethoven's quartets lie in the storerooms of the publishing houses like potatoes in a cellar. Heidegger is concerned here with the status of art. Art no longer holds an exceptional quality because it is no longer distinct from potatoes in a cellar. But still, art is things though, is it not? Artworks have this thingly character, whether Heidegger likes it or not, and he acknowledges this too. For Heidegger, in our everyday lives, we engage with artworks with out engaging in a critical understanding of how they are, the things they are. The much-vaunted subjective aesthetic experience, that is, the basic everyday claim, all art is subjective, cannot get around the tingly aspect of the artwork. So, when I am engaging with an artwork, irrespective of whether I like it or not, the object comes from a world that is not me. The object inhabits a world that does not come from me. The artwork has a trace of the world it originates from. This can even be on a very rudimentary level. So, the art of architecture is a bit stony, carving is a bit woody, and painting is a bit colourly, music is a bit sonicky, and spoken work is a bit linguisticky. That is all obvious, you might say, and indeed it is. And even when we go to visit a gallery, that is our urge. We find ourselves not appreciating the artwork, but trying and seeking to figure out how the artwork inhabits a world. That Degas 
would never fit over my mantelpiece, we might fantasise. While we certainly can engage in appreciation of the artwork, can decode its meanings, its comparative metrics, such as examining what the artwork says about this period of art history, as typical of the artist's oeuvre, or as a development in the progression of art history, none of this, though, helps make sense of the existential significance of the artwork. And all that means is that the artwork can tell us something about the way the world is. So the artwork, as a thing, is inherently ambiguous. It is both a thing and a non-thing at the same time, which of course is a contradiction. Let's see what Heidegger says. Now, while the artwork is connected to a world, insofar as the building is made of stone, this only goes so far. We can't really say that the sculpture is a stone. As an artwork, the sculpture is not reducible to the material object, but neither is it separable from it. If an artwork is an artwork, then there must be something other than the thing itself. The work has otherness, or a surplus. And this is quite important for Heidegger. It is this surplus, this excess, which separates the artwork from other things. The things that we do not notice, the tools and equipment of the world. Remember, Plato saw art as inherently anti-utilitarian, as in art has no instrumental value or function, and he might have a pint there. Can Shakespeare's plays really teach you how to bleed a radiator? Of course not. But that is not really the point of art. Art is valuable precisely because it resists instrumentalism. But still, what is this surplus, this excess, this enigma, this uselessness which the artwork holds? For Heidegger, we here meet another essential condition of the artwork, and that is, it is a making public. An necessary condition of any artwork is its mysterious substrate, for sure. One does not really have an artwork without some form of matter being involved. But we could say this about any material object. So Heidegger thinks another essential element of the artwork is a making public. And by that he means a form of showing or manifestation. This does make sense, since artworks are unintelligible without spectacle or display or showing. Even artworks which may exist out there, which have receded from history, are there to be shown. The artwork requires then making public spectacle or display. This is what makes art appear in the world distinct from the rest of the world, and which is why an ornate spoon stands out from your box-standard mass-produced spoon. As well as this making public, or public making, the artwork inaugurates a form of gathering. Heidegger does not necessarily mean the gathering of an audience, rather he means the artwork functions through bringing together what it shows and what it is made of. The word he goes to here is interesting, the ancient Greek word sumbelin. The work of art means gather the material object into a world of significance. The work is a symbol. Something other is brought together with the thing that is made. A wedding ring would be the perfect example of this. So art thus seems to be a very distinctive type of thing. This is important to understand, but we still have not got to the essence of the artwork. If art is a thing, or concerns itself with things, which surely it must do, then what type of thing is it? To answer this question... 
Heidegger responds in an elliptical fashion. To get to the type of thing art is, we need to know, first, what a thing is. What is it about a thing that makes it a thing? Or the thingliness of the thing? Or the thingly character of the thing? If we ask ourselves, what is a thing, then the list of things we could add to that designator is quite capacious. Heidegger himself hints at this. The stone is a thing, the clod in the field is a thing, the thistle, the leaf in an autumn breeze, the hawk over the world are all called things. To this he also adds peculiarly modern things like airplanes and radio sets. So really, a thing is basically anything which is not simply nothing. That is, it is anything which exists. But this really does not help us get a sense of how things are in a distinctive way. All things are not really equal and come to be in different ways. Heidegger thinks for this we need to draw the distinction between the mode of being of a thing and the mode of being as work or being made, fabrication. We seem not to we seem not to characterize beings at work as things. For example, we hesitate to call God the ultimate maker a thing, or we do not call a person such as the peasant in the field, as Heidegger says, the stoker at the boiler, or the teacher at the school as a thing. What has happened here is we have forced a distinction between things as activities and things that bear properties. In our common sense view of things, a thing is just that. It is just a collection of features and properties. For example, this stone is just its features and properties. The stone is cold, hard, heavy, extended, bulky, shapeless, rough, and so on. But how things exist is dependent on the way those accidental features, those traits, coalesce. This speaks to one of the oldest claims of metaphysics, the thing is formed matter. This implies that whatever set of properties or features we are talking about, it is the way or the activity of gathering them together which makes the thing a thing. Things thus have formed unity, uh, which aims towards maintenance over time, or what the Medievals called individuation. As Heidegger himself says, and I quote, This thing itself must be allowed to remain in its self-containment. It must be accepted in its own constancy. Note here how Heidegger's analysis of things corresponds to how we have already talked about what the artwork does. Any object comprises matter, hule and form, morphe. Wherever there is stuff, as Heidegger suggests, form is already co-posited. So our understanding of things seems to split between those which are creating and those created. The dualism of matter and form places matter in a subordinate role. Not that matter should be in the ascendancy. Heidegger was no materialist, but matter and form are essential to the genesis of anything. And that is where he is heading in his reflection on art. Art is particularly well-placed to give us a sense of things as both activities over time, for making and material objects. It is perhaps the temporal designation that contemporary appreciations of art lack. It is impossible for an artwork to exist without matter, but neither is an artwork reducible to its components. We do, though, seem to have a natural preference to think of the artwork as something made, created by an individual, 
or where a creative genius moulds an inert matter into shape. This natural assumption makes us think of artworks as intentionally formed matter or deliberately arranged stuff or in other terms objects intelligently designed. While the matter-form coupling is crucial it has generated some negative patterns of thought for helping us understand what art is or rather I suppose it has obscured what art is. Most explicitly it makes us think of things, all things, the being of beings as passively formed. Matter is there to be made or formed by a creator who shapes the material of the universe like putty in their hand. Thinking in this way has for Heidegger become our dominant mode of thinking about art where we think of objects in the world there as only to be mastered and dominated. Even in an everyday sense of art appreciation, we assume our best artists are those who exhibit mastery over their materials. From this privileging of form over matter, we get a few baleful consequences. For starters, we start to disassociate the rational and irrational, the subject and the object, form and matter, and with the latter, we compound the problem by seeing form as correlated with the rational and matter with the irrational. So, much for overcoming Plato then. Here, the artwork is only valuable, we've come to think, where it exhibits a being made or human artifice, a tool or equipmental utility. It is only valuable as something produced and by extension the productive becomes the dominant way, the dominant paradigm we construct our relationships with things. A thing is only meaningful insofar as it is useful or geared towards production, fabricated. Put simply, only that which is made is valuable and only things which are means to the end of production become worthwhile. And when it comes to artworks we encounter... That is the everyday view. We say, well, what is the point of that then? In Heidegger's eyes, the created artwork does more than just shape matter. Heidegger sees form as a distribution of the matter, and that is a spatial notion. That's what form is. It is the arrangement of matter in a spatial location, which gives shape to the material. So the lump of clay is an unshapely form. When it is moulded into a statue, it becomes something other than its matter. Form is the activity of arranging material properties in an appropriate way. A jug and potter moulded from clay, a belt from leather and so on. This is important for understanding art for Heidegger, but not decisive. Form is not a prior distribution of matter, and this is crucial, as in it is not something that is imposed on the thing from without. On the contrary, form is the activity of holding matter over time. That matter is activity arranged is not a random act. Things do not just form into anything. Things arrange in a relatively satisfactory way that function over time. Time, as you might imagine by now, is a key notion for Heidegger when it comes to art. So a chocolate teapot is not so much use to anyone as the say goes, but an impermeable jug or a sharp axe are because they sustain life over time. They reveal how life is over time. Heidegger's whole point about the matter-form structure is that while conceptually useful is also, however, something that makes us think of art only in a productivist or instrumental way. 
For Heidegger, this insight applies not just to art, but to all beings. To think of the work as created is to evoke the idea of God's imposing form on shapeless matter. In this model, all beings are created in advance and determined for all time. In this theological determination, all beings in the universe have the character of being equipment, tools of God, and all things are present. The idea of presence is deeply ingrained in our thinking, to such a degree that we tend to define all our relations in this light. And this is something that art resists. Art is necessary for truth for Heidegger. Part 3. Between Concealment and Unconcealment Heidegger gives us a succinct account of instrumental truth in the origin of the work of art. He says, The three modes of defining thingness conceive of the thing as a bearer of traits, as the unity of a manifold of sensation, as formed matter. These modes gel together and delimit how we normally think about things. Think about it. If you're thinking about anything, and I mean anything, you'll be hard-pressed to say that you do not use some, all, or an overlap of the above features. Heidegger's position on the thing of the artwork transcends these modes. They are useful but not critical conditions of the artwork being what the artwork does. By showing that these very traditional metaphysical conceptions of things do not really capture what is happening with the artwork, Heidegger is about to give us then a rather counterintuitive version of what art does. As we saw at the beginning of the lecture, the artwork is matter-formed for sure. But it is also other than this. This metaphysical determinations do not fully gather how things are, and that is Heidegger's purpose in this essay. Art reveals the being of beings. The key conceptual move Heidegger is making is that it is because the thing evades our subjective conception that makes it interesting artistically. In fact, the more we attempt to classify and gather the determinations of the artwork, the more it eludes our drive to command it. This corresponds more to the great art Hegel spoke on. It is art which is transformative and makes life apparent to us all in its contradictions and enigmas. The artwork then maintains something hidden, something concealed. And this concealment stubbornly refuses the reduction of the art object to a mere item. This is the truth of the artwork. The artwork has an ineradicable elusiveness to it, a recalcitrance at its core which resists mastery and domination. It resists naming. The artwork thus elicits a responsiveness from us humans. And for Heidegger, this is perhaps one of the ethical questions he did not fill out in Being and Time. The artwork helps elicit a responsiveness to that which is beyond human design and deliberation. It is because the artwork resists conceptualization that it can reveal something true. Truth here is what Heidegger calls aletheia, which is translated as un concealedness so un-concealedness being is concealed and this is something that we cannot transcend or overcome so truth is kind of like a double negation the truth that art reveals is that it remains concealed hence unconcealedness. there is a degree of humility and reverence that is thought as Heidegger is talking about the limitations of what we can know and which art serves to remind us of it is not the case art is good because it is either true or false or 
provides an adequate representation we can make propositions like that easy enough without saying anything insightful for example we might say that the mona lisa is housed in the louvre in paris that would not go too far beyond the medieval concept of truth as adequatio or adequation correspondence and that names a situation which we can easily enough confirm or deny art or great art in the sense of art that Heidegger has tried to rekindle, is that art is something between truth and falsity and has the capacity to reveal something truer even than our conventional methods of truth-seeking. To say art is between truth and falsity is not to say art is a lie or a pale imitation of truth as Plato might, but rather to say art reveals something about the nature of being itself, but what does it reveal? Art reveals being is unclassifiable. Here, Heidegger starts to sound mystical. Art shows being as that which both conceals and unconceals at once. Heidegger is digging deep into the pre-Socratics here, particularly Heraclitus. Heraclitus, as we know, was a thinker of flux, and flux implies reality is both sameness and change. But another way, Less gnomically, I hope, art shows us that being is becoming, and like Nietzsche, art puts the stamp of being onto becoming. Art is truth setting itself to work. Thinking of the work of art as a thing ultimately fails or is diminished or reductive because we force the artwork into a preconceived framework, and this obstructs our access to the essential enigma of the work of art. But that poses the problem as well. You can't really have access to an enigma. And that's what I, that's the that's the thought of truth that Heidegger wants us to maintain. As in being in time, the discussion of form is limited to the spatial arrangement of properties. Heidegger though to sustain this enigma now introduces a temporal designation of the artwork. The artwork reveals the time of life itself, or art as event eragonis. There are two significant consequences to this thought of art as event. With great art, the artist and the consumer become less consequential. This chimes with Heidegger's desire to nullify the idea that art is something merely subjective. Art reveals a world and the becoming of that world. This is not to say that the artist does not matter or that there are no individual recipients of the artwork. Rather, the artwork gathers participants, binds them to events which makes a world as it is occurring explicit. To think of the artwork only in relation to itself would kind of miss the point. Art exists by transcending the object that it is. To think of an artwork in that way would be to remove it from all relations to something other than itself, which in Heidegger's view is one of art's great strengths. Art is valuable when it reveals how a world is at stake, along with all its internal contradictions, and most importantly, that art is a beginning. This is the eponymous origin which Heidegger refers. The artwork is always an event, a beginning, infusing something new and transformative onto our world. The artwork is an originating. The artwork is neither the subject nor the object, but the coming together of all these in an encounter. Therefore, some of our most significant artworks have the capacity to be renewed, revised and transformed becoming historically relevant in different periods. 
Shakespeare's Hamlet and Macbeth benefits from historical renewal and readaption, for example. They are meaningful precisely because they are historical. If they were not, they would be mummified in the past and no longer relevant. Art thus gives us ways of contemplating the truth of being, and this is the more meditative inflection of Heidegger's late work. Great art is thus instructive, too. Great art has a pedagogical dimension, although not didactic, as it elicits us to respond reverentially in a non-domineering way to being with the contradictions of life itself. Heidegger laments how art no longer speaks of anything consequential, relegated to a critical prattle or the idle chatter of the art world. That Heidegger maintains disdain for the art industry is of note. The art industry maintains the cult of the artist and the cult of the artwork as a thing where art is made sacred by being collected, collated, recorded and put on display for consumption. He gives the example of a genus sculptures in a museum. Irrespective of how well preserved, curated and managed they are, this process does a violence to the artwork because it presents it as a stored-up item to be consumed. The very act of collection imposes on them a form of world withdrawal or a receding of the being of their world. Now, while world withdrawal is irreversible, I don't think Heidegger is saying don't have museums or galleries, I don't think he's a philistine in that sense, but the very existence of these practices reveal art is not something that engages us or helps understand what is happening to our historical world. And here we are still with Hegel's problem. Indeed, there is something nihilistic about it, as art is no longer of matter to us. In the origin of the work of art, Heidegger contrasts the art of the art industry with the Greek temple. The Greek temple exists with its world, alongside the world, actively contributing to the making of the world. For Heidegger, and I quote here, It is the temple work that first joins together and simultaneously gathers around itself the unity of these paths and relations in which birth and death, disaster and blessing, victory and disgrace, endurance and decline obtain the form of destiny for human beings. The temple first gives to things their look and to humanity their outlook on themselves. Heidegger's point here is a historical one. What great art does is draw all the differences of a world together. Not necessarily to generate conformity, I think. It is important to note, but rather to provide the world a relative stability. One illuminating how life is at stake by making explicit what is, what has, and how, what will be, matters. Great art reveals things of significance, not banal things like, I don't know, it is important to brush your teeth, but the things that make explicit the life of the polis. Relations in which birth and death, disaster and blessing, victory and disgrace, endurance, decline and renewal shape the fate of the human being. Art here is concealment, aletheia. Aletheia imposes on us a demand to be attentive to the openness of the world, to the questionability of the world and all its contradictions. Art then is a making explicit of phusis. Phusis is an ancient Greek word for nature. Heidegger thinks art reveals phusis or creation or being itself, which helps make clear 
illuminate how we live or how we dwell as the contradiction between the old and the new. The battle between old gods and new gods, as Heidegger says. After all, you can't have dramatic art without conflict. Fusus is the emerging and falling away of all things, or the ebbs and flows of life itself. And this is what art serves. Art in this way must be transformed, or something must be at stake, and it must be relevant to the totality of life. In conclusion, art shows the truth of beings as unconcealment. That's Heidegger's idea. We never get to truth itself, we never own truth, truth never is a property, or intelligible as a form of propriety. Truth is a happening, and art can serve to make us aware of this much more than the representational constraints Plato imposes on art. We must remember that Heidegger was thinking of art in the broadest possible sense. Art is related to the question of being or to the question of creation. Modern art and aesthetics have narrowed art to a subject passively consuming sensory information from an artwork. Heidegger is simply not just talking about stuff in galleries or poetry and books. He is looking at how the question of art relates to the fundamentals of human existence. This also becomes important for the question concerning technologies we will see in the next lecture. Heidegger was deeply concerned by the reproducibility of the artwork or the idea that art could be recycled. For Heidegger, art in the modern world due to mass communication was becoming less meaningful, which was symptomatic about the covering over of the question of being, existence, purpose and the fate of humanity in general. Art was a key site where we could uncover the question of being. This is art's purpose, the unconcealment of truth, the truth of humanity, its historical predicament, its anxiety and its future projections. If we think of art in this way, would art being meaningful, transformative, historical, generating communities and generating a sense that art is not something passive, something inert, something moribund? No, for Heidegger art is the opposite really. Art is alive and vibrant and transformative and something that helps transport us as well. Uh, if art is to be significant... It has to be, Heidegger says, contestatory and decisive or, as he puts it himself, in the fullest sense of these words, art is essential strife.